Uh, thank you for your welcome, John. It's good to be back again here at Court Farm with Fiona. And uh, just uh, one other thing about that, um, that uh, piece of paper which we will send you, that email which we will send you. It's actually the report um, of... Uh, the trip that Fiona and I made with John, and we're grateful to you for letting him come with us. Okay, we went, the three of us went in April, and we wrote a report. Uh, some of you may have had it, but what we will do is we'll email that report, and at the end of that report, it will give you all the bank details, etc., and uh, with a fuller explanation than Fiona was able to give this morning. Uh, now, just before I start, would you tell me, please, it's just gone 5 to 12. When do you have lunch, you folk? Half past 12, somebody's in. Well, if we, if, we, if we sort of do about 40 minutes, is that all right? I don't want to cause anybody an upset, so uh, um, if I do, I'm sorry. Have it out with John afterwards. <laughs> Would you please turn to the first book of Chronicles, chapter 15? The first book of Chronicles, chapter 15. First book of Chronicles, chapter 15. Um, just trying to arrange things here. And let's pray, please, before we look at the scripture and read it together. Father, we want to thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is able to instruct us for, uh, for righteousness, for doctrine, to correct us, and so on and so forth. And we want to thank you for the blessed ministry of your Holy Spirit to be able to impart uh, the truth to our hearts and to reveal Christ to us. And Lord, we do want to pray that you will be Lord of this time as we look at your word now, we pray. Amen. Amen. So friends, a short reading uh, from uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Let's read from verse 25. So David, the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the Ark, the singers and Hananiah, the music master, with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. Friends, I want you to imagine the situation when for many years prior to this occurrence, the Ark of God had been in the house of Obed-Edom, and then before that, um, 
in Kijath Jearim, and it, the, that which represents the presence of God among his people had been in a place which was just on the fringes of Jewish life and society. Uh, and at last, uh, David, it had been on his heart for so long, and he had, uh, it was in his heart, do you, do you remember, to, to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord corrected him and said, no, that's not going to be your job, it's going to be Solomon's job. But before that, uh, it was in the heart of God to bring, heart of David, to bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem. He had one attempt at doing this, and it ended in disaster. The death of somebody, uh, and uh, the Ark of God wasn't brought back at that time. But here... Uh, that's when it went to Obed-Edom's house. And, but then here, uh, eventually, and we haven't got time to go into the detail about this, but David, having sought the Lord and understood how God wanted the Ark of the Lord to come into Jerusalem, he now did it the second time the right way. And so imagine the scene. It says, all Israel... Well, I'm not sure it had everybody, but it had a large number of people, a, a, a sizable representative group of, from, from the nation. And they brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and what joy there was. There was shouting and the sound of horn with trumpets and cymbals. And if Chrissy and Helen had been there, they'd have been playing their guitars. He paid a debt. I could, I'm sure they'd have been singing a few, th few songs a bit like that. And <clears throat> it happened, and there was David. Because you see, friends, the significance of this, this was the, this was the presence of the Lord coming back into the central, into the center of the life of the nation. And he was dancing with all his might. But there was one lady, his wife, Michael, who wasn't there. And she was distant, she was separated from, she should have been with everybody else rejoicing, but she wasn't. And she was looking through the window and she saw what was going on and she saw her husband dancing like that and she despised him in her heart. That was the situation. Friends, this morning I want to talk with you. I'm going to do a Bible study with you. I don't know how far we'll get with this, which is why I asked you when you wanted to go and have lunch. We're going to do a study on windows. On windows. Here is Michael looking through a window. What is it speaking about? It's speaking of perspective. How do you and I view things? This is the question I want to ask. It is absolutely critical that we view things, people, situations, God himself, with a right perspective. If we don't, it will lead to, in Michael's case, a, a hatred. That word despising means a hatred. A despising, a hatred of others, of God. And for her, it didn't mean death. For others, as we see, uh, as you'll see a bit later on, it does mean death. But for her, it was a life of utter fruitlessness. She had nothing for it. She did have no children. She had no children until the day of her death. 
Now, please, friends, I'm not saying this, that this is, gives us an excuse to behave how we like with, um, as David was dancing there before the Lord, let me remind you of another situation where not only David, but all the people of God were dancing. And this time it was before a golden calf. Uh, and the death that came to so many people as a result of that. So please, I'm not trying to say that we should all be dancing necessarily. The critical thing is that it's the restoration of the, of the presence of God. And of course, in the situation with the golden calf, that is not what happened. God was distant and Moses came with a right perspective. And I think it's very interesting, you know, Joshua, do you remember Joshua? Uh, Moses' right-hand man, his servant, and Joshua had just been Moses' servant. And he came down with Moses um, to the scene, and he says to Moses, Oh, it's a sound of victory I hear. It's a sound of warfare. <laughs> Have you heard Christians saying, Have you heard what's going on? Victory is ours. You know, blessing is on the way. That was a wrong perspective. And Moses says, that's not the sound of victory. That's not the sound of war. That's the sound of singing and dancing. Nothing more, nothing less. What are they doing? Well, I mustn't digress. So, uh, let's look at windows. We won't be restricting ourselves to this passage by any means. We'll now be moving on and we'll just see how far we get. And I'm going to keep my eyes on the clock as well. But just trusting the Lord that at least something of what I bring to you, something will touch your heart. Uh, let us just have a bit of clarification. You see, if I mention windows to you, you think of single glazed, double glazed, frosted, all sorts of things. Please get any of those things right out of your minds. Windows, both in Old Testament and New Testament, there was no glass. It was basically a lattice providing a means of light. Uh, it was an entry point for thieves. It's an, uh, it's an avenue for escape. And it's a place, as we've already intimated, which it is here, from which we may view things from a place of security. But it's not only that, it's also a place actually from which others view, uh, can look in at us as well. It, is, uh, it, it can mean a sluice or a floodgate even. Uh, it is, if it's a place of perspective, very often as in here with, my, with, my, with Michael, it overlooks a street or a courtyard. So I trust you can sort of begin to get something of the, of the feel of what windows, when we're looking at windows, this is really what we're talking about. Okay, so <clears throat> a perspective on others, first of all, is what we've been looking at with Michael. Let's, let's think of another incident. Uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 5, we read of uh, a song that Israel sang. Judges chapter 5. I beg your pardon? Not Israel, Deborah and Barak. <coughs> and they were singing about the events of the battle that had been fought against the Midianites and what a victory that was. And uh, in Judges chapter 5 and verse 28, they are given an understanding of what 
the Midianite women were thinking, waiting for the return of their army. And so the mother of Sisera, who was the captain of the army, looked out through the window and she cried through the lattice. There it is. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man, a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Friends, what a what a kind of what kind of perspective is this? This is this is pure unreality. And here is this woman, this mother, saying, uh, "He's on his way back. Everything's going to be fine, <clears throat> uh, and they're going to be bringing spoil." Uh, she assumed there was victory. The delay that that, that uh, she speaks about is because she's anticipating the blessing that is coming. Friends, this is utter deception. And of course, what actually happens? Well, let's read the last verse of the chapter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Now, friends, this is Sisera's mother. But, you know, we can be like this. We can have a wrong perspective on things. We can, ha- we can be uh, in a state of pure unreality. We can imagine that the blessing is coming. We can imagine that we are going to be okay. We're going to Im- we're, 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 we can imagine that we're going to uh, receive so much, and it's complete unreality. Of course, it needn't be that, but friends, what I'm pointing to you is that through this particular perspective, this woman had got it completely wrong. So I ask you the question again, really. Out of which window are you looking? How do you view things? It is so important that we get a right perspective, God's perspective. Well, let me give you a right perspective of somebody. Proverbs chapter 7 speaks about uh, a right perspective. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 7 and verse (coughs) 6. The writer of this chapter, for at the window of my house I looked through the lattice. Now here is, here is a correct perspective. What does he see? I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight and in the evening. And verse 10, a woman met him with the, uh, with the, with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Here is somebody who's looking out of the window at the courtyard at the street below him, and what he sees is this young man hurtling to his destruction, and he doesn't know it. Friends, how desperately we need a right perspective. Do you see what is happening to so many people in our generation? Do you see the deceit and the allure with which the world and this matter of harlotry here is a picture really of, I mean, it's obviously an actual situation here, but the Bible speaks of it as love for this world as well. It speaks of harlotry in those terms. Love for the world is viewed in those terms. And we see people whose lives are, are being ruined because they are being taken in by all the, 
the outward beauty. Verse 11, she was loud and rebellious. Go to the nightclubs, etc. The volume. Some Christian meetings are like that too, I'm sorry to say. <clears throat> Lurking at every corner, verse 12, she caught him and kissed him. You know, and I have peace offerings. I can, you know, it'll be all right is what she's saying. You won't damage yourself. And friends, with verse 21, my eyes light on this. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Friends, don't let us be seduced either by love for this world or false top doctrine, error, those who appear uh, <clears throat> to come with a promise of such blessing. Verse 22, note the, the perspective with which this man writes this chapter. Immediately he went after her as an ox to the slaughter. And I don't know whether you know how an ox goes to the slaughter, but they are put in the, the, um, the lorries, the trucks, they are taken to the abattoirs and they haven't a clue what is coming to them. But sometime nearer, and they, they, they catch the smell of it or they catch wind of what is about to happen, and they dig their heels in and they resist as much as they can. And eventually, knowing that um, they can't resist effectively, they will just simply say, all right then, and they go to the slaughter. Friends, we mustn't be like that. But here is a man, thank God, who understood things from a right perspective. And the scripture is written so that you and I have no excuse. So we need to avoid uh, the things that are being spoken out in that chapter and all the things that it speaks about. Right, well, that is uh, a view of others. We may touch on other things as well. What about, what about a view of God? You know, the first time that a window is mentioned, do you know when the first time a window is mentioned in the scriptures? Anybody? The ark. The ark. Yes, Noah's ark. The window was the only means of light in the ark. It was in the ceiling, the roof of the ark. It was the, ah, uh, bless you. It was the only means of light. Friends, our only means of light, revelation, understanding, perspective, comes from God himself. And imagine what it would have been like in the ark, you know, all the, the rain and the storm and the everything else. And every day they must have thought, when's this going to end? And then one day, as Noah and the others looked out, that rain stopped. It was their, it was their only means of revelation, only means of understanding really what was going on. And of course, the rest of the, sto the, 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 the story, I don't want to go into it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And the, and, and the raven and the dove and so on. And, but friends, that is our means of perspective. And yet so many of us, you know, there is, there is light, there is a window possible, and yet our eyes are down and we're caught up because of the situation around us, uh, I mean, imagine Noah, you know, caught up with the, the situation of looking after the animals, the, all that would have been involved. Uh, but there is a window. Friends, just stop and look up. Look through a window. Look at God's, look at things through God's perspective. Look to the Lord. As that psalm uh, John gave us today, look to the Lord and let him 
give you his, his light and his understanding. Would you please turn to Jeremiah chapter 9? Jeremiah chapter 9. Here is a very sobering passage, I think. From verse 19, for a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O you women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth and teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor uh, lamentations. My friends, a voice of wailing, a voice of lamentation, um, and of and of woe. Why? Verse twenty-one gives us the answer, or gives us the explanation. For death is come up into or through our windows, and is entered into our palaces. I said to you that a window is a means of light. It's a means of perspective, but here it's a means of entry from something that was going to bring destruction. And of course, really what it's saying is that because of the rebellion and the idolatry of the people, that ground was given for, for, uh, for enemy forces to come into the nation and to destroy um, the city of Jerusalem, Zion, verse 19. Death is come up into our windows. So we need to be very, very careful what we allow to come into our lives. We need to be very, very careful what we receive and what we open ourselves to and the, the way in which we look at situations because actually something may come into us as well. And you don't need me to tell you that these days, in our generation, in the last however many years it is recently, we have a means, windows, television, computers, the phone, etc., through which death may come. Now, friends, I'm not saying you shouldn't have windows. <laughs> I mean, we've got to have a window. Michael had to have a window. There had to be, there had to be windows. Maybe we have to have some of these things. All I'm saying is be very careful what you allow to come into them. And here, this death came into our palaces. And what was the purpose of it? Please notice it. It says to cut off the children from outside. It brings a destruction of children and young men. It's not just children, it's young people really that it's being talked about here. And friends, these, these young people, they should be, the young men, the young men from the streets, they should be outside playing, conversing, interacting, getting involved in life, living, instead of which they're cut off from the streets because of this death. And isn't that what's happening? I think this is a graphic scripture as to what is happening to so many of our young people today, particularly. It can happen to others, of course. I'm not wanting to just restrict it to young people, but just be careful. 
<clears throat> what are you allowing in to your life? In Joel chapter 2, verse 9, don't turn to it please, but there is an account of a destruction that is going to come upon Israel, was going to come upon Israel, uh, a judgment from God, and it speaks about the thieves coming in, that army um, that God was going to send that was going to come and rob the people. Be very careful what you allow to come in to rob you and to destroy you. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9. And verses 30 and 32. <clears throat> Let's look at things a little bit differently on this matter of windows. And here is a king, Jehu, a man Jehu. He's not yet king, I don't think. Is he king? He's just been anointed. Thank you for the reminder, Fiona. And uh, he's charged by God with dealing with the idolatrous regime that had been taking place. And so he pursues these people and uh, he comes this time to Jezreel and Jezebel, Ahab's wife, heard about it. And she painted her face, made her hair look beautiful and looked out at a window. What's she doing? She is viewing the situation and this particular man from a place of safety, as she thinks. And so she makes herself look be beautiful. And so what she's doing, she's wanting to portray herself through the window so that the man who's outside is going to look on her and be totally taken in and think, what a beautiful lady she was. She, she, she is. And she was a stunner, I think, reading between the lines. Dangerous women who look beautiful like that. Friends, you know, we can all put on a kind of, not just the women, I'm talking, I'm talking about us all now, we can all paint ourselves, we can all beautify ourselves, we can all want to present ourselves in such a way that people are taken in by what we appear to be. And it's very dangerous. Suppose I'm appealing to us all for a bit of reality. Don't let's be those who want to make ourselves something on the outside which we're not. Let's face up to who we are. Actually, I wonder whether Jezebel actually could have had a bit of an opportunity for repentance if she'd been real. Who knows whether God would have been merciful to her. Because God doesn't want anybody to perish, but all should reach repentance. So what she does... She looks out at the window and uh, she asks a very pertinent question. Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? Jehu, if you, you have just killed my husband, are you, do you think you're going to get away with it? Is what she's saying. And I love this perspective that Jehu has from the ground. 
He lifted up his face to the window, and there at the window were two eunuchs, her servants. Who is there on my side? He doesn't even tell them what to do, but he asks a very good question. Who is on my side? Now, friends, they understood what they had to do. They understood that her time was up. Now, please, it says here, sorry, he then says at this point now, throw her down. Now, please, this is not a question of two hunking men picking up this slight, slim slip of a thing and, you know, easily throwing her, as I remember doing, I mean, I'm a hunking, strong man, as I remember doing to once or twice in my life, throwing my daughter into the swimming pool, for example. No, it's not that, that, that at all. Friends, this window would have been latticed. It was a small opening. To shove her through that window would have been quite difficult. It would have probably broken the window. And here they were, on the side of the Lord, on the side of the servant of God, accomplishing the Lord's purposes in dealing with this woman and her idolatry and bringing an end to that regime. Friends, if we are going to cooperate with the Lord like that, it's not always going to be easy. We're going to need to be strong. But the Lord asks us the question, what side are you on? There are some times that we have to throw things out. That is the right perspective. Let's look at something different. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, verse 9. Don't turn to it, I will tell it to you. I'm only going to refer to it briefly, Acts 20 and verse 9. Just a, a caution to you, really. How long do you spend by a window? I mean, maybe in the light of what we've been looking at in Jeremiah 9, you need to ask the question, how much time do you spend by a television, by a smartphone, by the internet? You say, well, I spent hours. Well, here is a young man, and do you know what he's doing through his window or just sitting by his window? He's listening to the sermon. <laughs> and he's having a great time. So you can't even say he's listening to the wrong kind of stuff. He's listening to good stuff. Good stuff. And please, I may be taking something that is not intrinsic in the text, but I think it's a warning that needs to be made. You know, we can listen to too much, say, through the internet. We can expose ourselves to so much that is out there. And the effect of that is actually to make us at least spiritually fall asleep. And we begin to lose our perspective. Thank God there was resurrection for this young man called Eutychus. But just be careful how much time you spend by a window. But for others, three times in the scripture, the window is a place of escape from death. Praise the Lord. There is Paul himself who was let out through a wall, I beg your pardon, at a wall, in a basket, through a window. But he wasn't the first. Turn please to Joshua. Chapter 2. Joshua 
Joshua chapter 2. And verse 15. <clears throat> Do you remember the spies have come into Rahab's house and uh, she lets them go with a request. Verse 12, I pray you swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father, my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall and she lived upon the town wall. So you get the picture, this window there. And so she lets these people down through, um, uh, through the window by a cord. And we know later on that that cord is going to be scarlet. It's um, verse, verse 18, I beg your pardon, it's not that, Yes, it is. Verse 18. Behold, when we come to the land, you shall bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which you let us down by. So the very means of escape for these men was going to be the means of escape um, also for her and her family when eventually Joshua and the people were going to come in to the city. And verse 19, it shall be that whoever goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. What is this scarlet thread speaking about? My dear friends, isn't it speaking about the blood of the Lord Jesus? Isn't it speaking about the cross? This is our means of escape. Indeed, it's the only means of escape. And when it says it, 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 it is a thread, uh, the verse 15 speaks about a cord. It's actually a twisted rope. And it speaks about pain and it speaks of sorrow. Um, <clears throat> but when it talks about a thread in verse 18, the idea of the Hebrew has, an, uh, has the meaning of expectancy or hope linked to it as well. Friend, the blood of Christ guarantees our salvation. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> but we need to keep in that place of safety. So... If you're in Rahab's situation, notice what I've just read in verse 19. You need to keep in that place. You don't know when, when, you don't know when Joshua and the, and the armies of Israel are going to come and attack. But you need to keep in that place of safety. None of us knows uh, the time of our end. None of us knows when the Lord is going to return. But we need to pray uh, that we will be kept in that place of safety. That's why Colossians 1, amongst other passages, speaks about the need to continue in the faith. Continue in that place where the blood is, is effective in our lives. Well, um, there's one other incident um, where there's escape, and I haven't got it details in front of me, at least not to hand, um, but never mind. You can find it out for yourself, I'm sure. David, that's what it was, King David. Very similar. Um, Michael, same lady that we read at the very start, lets him out through a window. 
and it's David's means of escape. Thank God there is a means of escape. The gospel is our means of escape. Knowing the Lord Jesus is our means of escape. Hallelujah. Let me finish by giving you a totally different perspective. The Bible speaks a number of times about the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven. You know, God has a perspective. And from that perspective, he can actually open heaven to you. I mean, what a perspective the Lord Jesus had. What a window was opened to him when he was baptised in water and the Holy Spirit came upon him and the heaven opened and a voice came from the glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, God can open heaven for you. God can give you something of his mind. God can speak to your heart directly. The windows of heaven can be opened to you to give you such blessing. Do you remember Malachi 3? Bring the full tithes into the house and I'm going to widen it out. It's not just saying about the matter of tithing. It's saying if you love me, if you obey me, if you follow me, if you put me first, I can open the windows of heaven for you. And there won't be room enough to contain the blessing. <laughs> My friends, God has wanted to open those windows for you and for you as a church as well. It's a place of such provision. If you were to look at <clears throat> another passage in two, in two Kings, <clears throat> I'll give you the reference at some point when I've remembered it or found it, but you'll find it there. The, um, um, the Syrian armies, again, were um, surrounding Jerusalem and there was famine in the land. We have a famine these days of the word of God. We really do. And it came to a crunch point where the king of Israel, the king of Judah, I beg your pardon, said, I'm going to deal with Elisha because he's the source of the problem. What a wrong perspective. <laughs> wasn't, he wasn't the problem at all. But at the moment that he said that, and he sent messengers to Elisha to deal, executioners actually, to deal with him, Elisha said, go and tell your master that by this time tomorrow, the famine will be over, effectively. I'm not going to give you the exact words, but effectively he's saying the famine will be over completely. And there was a, an army officer who heard those words and said, if God should make windows in heaven, can this thing happen? And Elisha said, he doesn't say these words, I'm going to put in some words just to emphasise the point. Because you haven't believed that, you are not going to see it. And what happened the next day? Some lepers went out. No food in the city. So, may as well go out to the, Syri Syri the Syrians. We've got nothing to lose. Let's go and see what's going on, on there. So, out they go. And God did the most amazing thing. When these few lepers went out to the Syrians, the Syrians heard that the whole of the Hittite army had attacked them was on the move and uh, other things happened and so they fled God caused the enemies to flee God is able to make enemies flee he really is he can hoodwink them hallelujah and so there they are they're having a great time and they're gorging themselves it must have been about 20 to 1 it's almost lunchtime. I'm almost finished 
<clears throat> and they were having a great, and they suddenly said, actually, we're eating all this food now. God has richly blessed us. Shouldn't we be going to share this good news with others in the city? And so they do. And they go back and they check it out. And they discover that's what's happened. There is provision galore outside the city of Jerusalem. And so the whole city runs out. And there is a centurion, an officer, that same officer who had questioned whether God could do it in 24 hours. And the, and the rush of the people, and he is crushed to death. Can God make windows in heaven open in such a way that God can provide for you? My friends, don't let unbelief affect your heart. God can open the windows of heaven for you. Otherwise, if you don't believe that, you risk spiritual death anyway. It's a killer. Michael had no child till the day of her death because of that wrong perspective. And if you have a wrong perspective of God and what God can do, it's a killer for you as well. The windows of God can be open. The windows of heaven can be open in blessing. The windows of heaven can be open for provision and for many other things as well. So can I really conclude? I suppose let's go to Michael again. 1 Chronicles 15. Can I, I don't need to go to it. Let me, I'm going I'm to go to it. Just to ask you the question, really, out of what window are you looking? We need a perspective to see what is going on. Is this a day when the ark of God is returning? Is this a day when the presence of God is coming into a situation or coming into your life in such a way uh, that maybe you've never known before? It might be. Hallelujah if it is. And if that is, don't as an onlooker at somebody else or at somebody's situation look on and say, I hate that person despise it and reject it. But of course, if it's not the ark of God that's returning, you have every right to view it from a proper perspective and question how it's being handled. But we need a right perspective. Don't write people off when you shouldn't. Don't write situations off. Don't write the work of God off. See things from a proper perspective. If you do, there will be life and there will be fruitfulness. View God correctly. Look up to the window. If you need a means of escape, go for it. And let God and trust God to open the windows of heaven for your blessing and your encouragement. Shall we pray, please? Father, we want to thank you for all that the scriptures speak to us. Uh, on this matter of windows and we do want to call upon you to, uh, for your help and enabling that we may have a proper perspective, a right perspective on our own lives, on others, save us from making wrong pronouncements and particularly Lord to respond in a wrong way with our attitudes and our emotions. Oh Lord help us we pray. Lord none of us sees everything clearly and we do ask you dear Lord to give us light from your word and from your Holy Spirit that we may understand that we may see and that we may believe and follow you 
We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you for this body of your people. Let your good hand be upon them for your blessing. And Lord, give to each one that right perspective, I do pray. Amen.